you have your Bibles and want to turn, we're in John chapter 17, right in the middle of one of the most important passages, I think, in the Bible. And I know every passage is important, but this is the high priestly prayer. When Jesus Christ prays to the Father for you and me. In fact, we're in the text today, very specifically, really cool. So I invite you to turn there, John chapter 17, we're picking it up in verse 11, but you know, I was thinking, it's been so amazing. I've been trading pictures with folks around about these amazing, beautiful days we've had. Do you guys get outside yesterday? Oh, I hope so. It was so beautiful. I guess my hope for you and me in a Christian setting, in your Christian life, is you would walk in the light. By that, I don't mean walk the right way and make sure your steps are straight. That's good. But I hope you can see the beauty and wonder of being outside, of not hiding in a cave. I think the sad thing for me over the last, I don't know, couple decades of my Christian life is to see that Christianity, if I just say Christian, people start to have lost what that really means, I feel like. Like, don't even understand exactly. And we've done it to ourselves, the Christian church. Like, what is the Christian church? And you got to almost say, which one? The Presbyterian or the Lutherans? Or is it the, 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 you know, the the Methodists or or the Catholics? And, oh, the Catholics, are they even Christian? And, And you start talking about people. And so, what's a Christian? And so, what happens is people retreat, usually into their little caves, you know. We'll get a bunch of people that think like me, and we'll be the real church and we'll stay away from that big bad world out there my heart for you today is that you would get out into the light because it's amazing that we would be in the world but not of the world and particularly we might have, might have confidence because I feel like part of it is assurance and confidence because then each corner that you've ever talked about in the world has their own viewpoint about what you should be doing You know, we think you should do this. And so, man, I want to know what the Bible says, so I'm going to look at the Bible to tell me how to live my life. And that becomes the functional way that we're Christians. The pastor tells you how to live your life. That's really good. I want to order your life. I want to put me in charge. No, let's not do that. But what does the Word of God really say? And the difficulty for many of us is that what the pulpit is saying, what the pastor is saying, is kind of downstream from the real message. A lot of times it's really good stuff. It's like how to be a good parent, how to be a good uh, spouse, how to to, to act rightly and uprightly in the world. Good things. Are they Christian things? Is it the ground of our assurance, our confidence? What is that exactly? And I think it's something... A little different. And that's because mostly what, what we do is we do this. Say, okay, I grew up, I went to Sunday school, so I get this. I get this idea that, that the answer is Jesus. In fact, if you want to say it with me just once for fun, say it in the, the Sunday school way. Jesus. So who's your savior? Jesus. What's the answer? Jesus. You say, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. But Dax, I gotta live. I got this whole life ahead of me, so you gotta tell me about living life now. Functionally, right? I want to do it right. I, I fear or worry that I might mess it up. I might not hold on to the end. I'm, I might have a better life if I make different decisions. And so if I make the Christian decisions that are in the Bible, then my life will go better for me. And so I can get afraid. I can fear about what's up to me. 
Am I keeping the right rules? Do I have the right beliefs? Am I keeping my life and my family, my affairs in order? And, and functionally, then the, the question becomes, am I progressing as I should, right? I'd like a grade. Dude, I love grades. Especially if I can get an A. Then it's good. I like that. Or even if I can start with a B, that's okay. As long as the possibility of an A is there, I'll, I'll go. It'd make me feel better, right? Do I have the right evidences of being Christ? Am I progressing in my sanctification? Is kind of the theological way we say that a lot. And so we enter into life here on earth after conversion where we pray the prayer. And, and we kind of say, okay, well, th- this is... We start arguing, dividing, splitting. Uh, around what, especially? Kind of how to live life now. Not, not, not... Wow, Jesus, and just you're free, but yes, Jesus, and that's where you get the Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Reformed, Baptist, Evangelical, Keswickianism. What if the premise is wrong? I guess that's what I'm, I'm asking you to consider from the text with me today. What if we can actually have assurance and peace and unity around one thing? And have a, a lot of ways that we go about that Christian life from there. And, and I think if it's the one thing, then the one thing is what Jesus has done, right? But how does that functionally work? Because, because, because I'm always back to fear of, well, what, what should I do next? And here's the thing. Look at the text this morning with me and see this. You don't keep yourself. That's radical. You don't sanctify yourself. That's amazing. You are made one by God. That's incredible. Because those are all things I think I'm working on. And yet, Jesus himself, our God, says, no, this is the way you think. You think about it this way. And out of that comes how you're living, right? So this is what I hope you to see this morning, that, that God has you and he promises you and we stay there because forgiveness is real and, and his love is sure and he's for us is, is the reality. And this is so critical. Jesus is praying it right in his high priestly prayer. And, and it's around this idea of oneness, which we'll get to at the end. It leads to it. So that's what I'm calling it one. It's a surprising one. It seems like it doesn't fit this idea, but, but it's, it's really important for your Christian life. Walk with me. Look at it with me. John chapter 17. First, I want to see that you were kept. We're kept. That means guarded. You and I are guarded, preserved, not of our own actions, but of God. Let's, let's look. Verse 11. Jesus says, and he's praying. He, we're, we're picking him up mid-prayer. We started the prayer last time about glory and how glory is God and the Father and, and God is the Son. And, and they have glory going on there, and we're just kind of watching it. We're not giving it. And, and then he turns and he prays, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. He's talking about his guys, right? And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. Okay, the Son is asking the Father publicly, before he goes to the cross, the, the, the event of history, and, and his, his 
His request is of the Holy Father, which is like, whoa, big, amazing, majestic God. And the Son, who he's well pleased with, says, Dad, he doesn't say Dad, he says, Holy Father, will you do this? What? Keep. Guard. Preserve in his name those given to Jesus. So Jesus had his guys and he says, now I'm entrusting them to you, Holy Father. Boy, I wonder if they're going to be as entrustworthy, as safe as they were in Jesus' hands. Because he had kept them right on earth. That's what he goes on to say. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Okay, think of me about this crowd for a minute. He's talking about the disciples. They're, 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 they're not the most religious bunch, right? I mean, they kind of bumble around. They rarely understand what Jesus is doing. They're kind of just living life. And, and they're fishermen and, and zealots and ex-tax collectors. And, and then they're doing those things. And, and they're not like, these are my spiritual giants. What's important about them is Jesus chose them. And he had them. And then, he, and then he says, I kept him. I didn't lose any except the one that was prophesied by Scripture. That's the only one that says, I guarded them. It's, it's incredible about what this picture of salvation is. Jesus called them, and they came, and he kept them. I mean, they chose him. They chose to follow. Don't get me wrong. I'm not hitting the idea that you choose. Go ahead. I'm not, this is not about Calvinism or that predestination. No, this is about the wonder that you right now who have heard Jesus and trust Jesus that he... Ask the Father to keep you. you got to chew on this with me just for a second. Because why doesn't he say, Lord, that they might keep themselves? He doesn't, does he? Make sure you keep your heart, child. No! He's asking the Father. They're stumbling nobodies. And, and look, he, he just follows it up. He keeps going. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is Jesus. He says, I'm leaving. We looked at this in depth a couple weeks ago, the world hating them. Not because they did great deeds, not because they were awesome examples of moral excellence. No, the world hates them because they don't buy into being the meritorious system that the world says is the way to go. They look at Jesus and they say, you're my savior, I trust you. You're my hope and not being better, not earning my way, not growing myself, not improving me. Jesus, Messiah, you've got me. And it's a simple thing, but it's a profound thing. And we talked last week about how important it is to stop right there. Not to use that as a lever towards self-improvement. Not a first step on the long road of transformation of you. It's not about you at all. And why not? Because the entire purpose is what God will do. Do you think God's at work? <laughs> Here's what Jesus asks him, right? That's that that's what he asks. 
Look, here's the summary of what he asks in this, in this section right here. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Don't ask you to put them in a cave. But that you keep them from the evil one. Keep, guard, protect, preserve. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. This is hard to see, mostly because most of the time I feel like I am of the world. I have a lot of the same concerns that the world has. I enjoy the same things that the world does. I have the same struggles. And yet you have to be super clear then that what makes you not of the world? And it's that you receive this word of free salvation from a Savior who's done it all. And with that, Jesus doesn't say, okay, guys, now hunker down. You're going to be on your own. You're going to have to really hold to all that I said and do it. You'll need to be taking charge and getting it done. No. He turns to the Father, to the Holy Father. He asks, will you protect them, Father? Will you keep them from the evil one? Okay, a minute on that. What's the evil one? I mean, the evil one, most people say, it's not a hard leap to say, oh, that's that's the devil. That's Satan, right? The ruler of this world who's judged. He's known as the accuser or the deceiver. He accuses you that you're not good enough. You're not really loved by the king. So being kept is to what? To hear and receive that you are in Christ. You're loved. Notice what I'm not saying. I'm not saying anything about if you, if you do the right stuff. If you work on yourself really hard. If you get it all together. No, it's like, do you trust that the Lord adores you because of Jesus? And that Satan's going to come in with every lever he has to try. No, you're not. You, you understand you're not. Because you're not good enough. And I don't mean little stuff. Man, because of drugs. Man, because of pornography. Man, because of anger. Man, because your life is falling apart. Are you kidding? God doesn't like you. He would if you'd clean all that stuff up. What's the answer? Thank you. Somebody said over here, they didn't stand the right tone. Jesus. Jesus, right? Because Jesus is actually the reality of forgiveness. His blood for me. I'm forgiven. That means that's the, the, the ground we stand on. I don't stand on the ground of improving it. I stand on the ground of Jesus for me. By the way, what didn't I say? I didn't say any of those things are good. I didn't say, oh yeah, then we just love all this garbage. No, it's garbage, but it's garbage that infects you. What's your hope? Jesus. So, so that's the accuser, right? He comes in and accuses. He also deceives about what's really important because what we start to think is important is all these things about the deeds and activities and behaviors that you're going to accomplish. And God, oh yeah, sure, I believe in him. I believe in Jesus. He helps me be a better me. If you're good enough, he'll be impressed. Yeah, that's a deception. Is somebody's going to look at you? No, the only hope you have is he's not going to look at you. He's going to look at Jesus. Right? That, that's where we are. That's the deception we're fighting in. So this request from Jesus himself for the disciples and through them to you is God keep them, guard them, preserve them. Such assurance for us that we have God at work to continue by the work of the Holy Spirit to come in and comfort us that it's all about Jesus. And then we can stand and someone can come and accuse you and say, no, I know you're right. I'm not who I should be. And I totally affirm I should be better. The law accuses. 
But at the same time, I stand free. Why? Because forgiveness works. That's where we stand. So it's not just about keeping, though. God himself so amazing that it's not us keeping, it's God who's keeping, the Father. And then also, not just keeping, but this word that kind of makes us a little bit scared, sanctifying. So look what Jesus prays in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Okay. This is an imperative. All of these things, Jesus, when he's addressing the Father, he's speaking in what's called an imperative. That means it's a command. This is command language. God the Son strongly asking God the Father directly to do something, to sanctify his people. Sanctify meaning make holy, right? Set apart. You know, the noun of of this verb is sanctification. It's often a concept that's used to drag you back to the law. Drag you back to the things you got to do, back to the world, even by the Christian church, because they think, okay, believe this. Great. Jesus died for you. Now, the task is for you to get your sanctification better. Right. Not here. Right. That's clear. You do see that. Jesus doesn't say get sanctified, guys. Jesus asked the father to do something. Sanctify them. That's who does it, right? Not you, not your works, not your effort combined with God's. You're not in mind at all. God is doing it. In fact, this is the 99% way that sanctification is used in the New Testament. It's something that's done to you. And look what it is. It's not a holy lifestyle. Not progressive improvement in moral behavior. Not any of that. You're made holy. Jesus says, please sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, what in the world? I don't really understand that. Let's just... No, no, stop. What's the word? I mean, John's been about the word from the get-go, right? John starts with, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glorious of the only Son, begotten the Father. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus, the word of God, this incredible truth hanging over us. Jesus is about to shed his blood on the cross. He's not there. This is his final priestly prayer before he's going to go to the cross and says, oh, he's going to shed his blood so we might be saved and you will have holiness, set apartness, sanctification forever by the blood of Christ, by the word of God. This is the truth. Oh, and may it land in your heart. And it says, and we have come. And to believe what? The love that God has for us. How do I know it? The cross. Jesus. Look what he did. We continue to know in the face of opposition that this is the truth. And the work of God in Christ saved forever. Our holiness by God the Father and the work of the Son by the Spirit. And why do I say that? Look what he says. As you sent me... Into the world, Jesus praying to the Father. So I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, listen, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus is not talking about an example. Saying, oh, I'm going to go act holy so that you will too, Padawan. He's not doing that. 
He's saying, I'm accomplishing this for them. That's what he's doing. Our holiness is entirely based on Jesus, what he did, so that by hearing this word, we are too made holy, not sinless in our flesh, not on a path to get rid of sin in the flesh. We die and we're raised from the dead in Christ forever. This is the testimony of the New Testament, you know, not not just here. Let me give you a couple more verses so it's maybe clear in some places that Paul writes. 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you, bad, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. See, God did something. That's a past thing. It's like he did it. Where did he do it? On the cross. How do do I get something that was done so long ago by receiving the word, trusting that it was done? Not not at how strong is your trust, but but understanding your eyes being open to the reality of this is what's happened. Look what he said in Hebrews. Hebrews 10, by that will, God's will, we have been sanctified, made holy, you and me, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See what he's saying? This is so clear. This is so obvious. Like, yeah, we were made holy by the blood of Jesus when he died on the cross for me. This is so obvious that people have to say, oh, there must be many kinds of sanctification because this is clearly what Jesus did on the cross for us was make us holy. So there's got to be some other places where you bring in some other ways that you're sanctified by your works because otherwise progressive sanctification, this idea that you make yourself holy, would just be a pile of hogwash. You do see that, right? Our sanctification is by Jesus. Look at it again. A couple chapters later. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. I guess what I'm trying to get you to see is that it's not that Jesus is an example for us. He, he's not your, your, your sort of your thing you follow so that you too can be holy. If you look to Jesus, he'll be a good example for you that you can take what he did and principalize his actions and you'll do those actions and then you too will be holy and God will be happy with you. No, 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 no. No, it says Jesus acquired your holiness by his blood. It's not just by his blood, it's that he became a criminal for you. And one of our favorite passages around here is he became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God in him. So it's not unclear, but Christians often build sort of in the world this entire system, even using the Bible, that makes it unclear. We change the meaning of words. We bring ourselves in. We come back to the basic principles of the world. And what instead we need to hear is that God is in charge. The Father is engaged. The outcome is sure. And there's two commands here that Jesus asks of his dad that he would guard us and that he would sanctify us. I wonder if it's going to happen. That's rhetorical. I'm not really wondering. I think it's true. He's going to do it. Right? It's not our love, not our commitment, not our strength of belief, the simple truth that God has us, he keeps us, he sets us apart. Jesus has done it. It's not just for you, it's for us. This is a big paradigm. In our day especially, right, because most of the time we're, we're arguing over what good work the church should be doing. 
what justice we should be fighting for, what wisdom issue is really the key issue of the day. Ugh. You see that all that stuff is very downstream. You can have those arguments. They're not wrong arguments to have. They just come very close to missing if you think it's the center of what Christianity is at all. Come back here. See the cross. Amazing confidence because God keeps you, not you. Amazing rest and assurance because he sets you apart. He makes you holy, not you. That leads to this final request, this big thing. What God's going to do is to make us one. One. Look what he says. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Who's that? That's us. That's us. We're in the Bible. We believe through the word of the disciples, written down in the Bible that became the, the written word by which we understand who Jesus is. Everything we know about Jesus from this book. And here it is, Jesus praying for us. And what does he pray? That they may all be one. Just as your father, you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, this is, it's so much easier to talk about principles to apply to do things that sometimes we miss. This is one of the most important sections of scripture that you'll have. What does Jesus pray? That we may be one. And you said, well, that's just too hard to understand. What does that mean? It's a huge deal to be one. Not to be the same, not to think the same, but to actually be one, to be united, unity. And, and you say, well, well, yeah, that's what we're striving for, Daxa, converting everyone to my position. N no, not unanimity. Well, you say, yeah, 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 finally. Boy, if we could get everybody to love, you know, then they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our service to the world. No. You know the Bible doesn't say that? But it does, Dax. It says, they'll, Jesus even said it in John 13, that by your love, they'll know you. And we think, oh, that means us loving the world. No, it says by your love of one another. By your oneness, the world knows something, right? What Jesus asked the Father for is that we may be one. And the oneness is being in Christ as Jesus is in the Father. This is the deep heart of God for you and me. It's the mystery that you're part of. You might even not even know the closest thing we have is marriage. Remember marriage in Genesis, right? The beginning of Genesis. A man shall leave his father and wife, and they shall be joined, and they shall become one. One flesh. So here's Paul in Ephesians. And if you go to Ephesians and you take a look and you read it and you say, oh, look, I got it. Paul's going to tell me what that really means because, man, is it sexual or is it intimacy or is it like talking deeply or living together? What is it exactly? So he says, hey, a man shall leave his father and mother and they be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And he says, I have no idea what that is. This is a great mystery. Because what is he talking about? He's talking about some way that God knits Together, two people. He even says, I'm not talking about a man and a wife. I'm talking about Christ and the church. How are you connected to Jesus exactly? Your answer should really be, I don't know. I know it's true because Jesus said so. I know he asked the Father to do it, that we might be 
one means connected in union and union becomes this amazing thing that God does for me that I'm in Christ and in Christ my sin is gone. The law has nothing to say to me. He's covered me totally. And at the same time, I'm still struggling in this world. So I, I get the tension. But this is this is it. It's something that exists, period. Not something you gin up, not something you work on, not some superficial agreement on policy or procedure. This is the core of Christianity. We are one. Like when we read in Ephesians, right? If, if Jesus, the depth, the height, the width, the love of God, to know that and you started to taste it, so when you walk worthy, what's that? To know it's just one. Not unanimity. Union. We gotta end, but I'll tell you a little bit more. So, so this is something that exists. We are one. Let's read the rest of it. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So it's, it's Christ's glory for us. Wow. And I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So it's not that we love, it's that God loves. can't emphasize this enough. I have one hope, it's the forgiveness of Christ on the cross, his blood for me, but I should say his blood for us. His love for you and me. And I'm convinced that this is our hope. This is the perfection of that unity, is the purity of receiving absolution, of, of getting your behavior to equal. My behavior isn't hit, right? I want the world to know that God loves them. Not that I love them. I am not a proxy for God. I can I can be broken in front of people because I know, you know what? I, can you believe God loves this failing critter? Isn't that the message? Not, I have become strong and I will love you so you will know you can become strong too. Oh no. Get away from me, R2-D2. Whatever that is, I don't know. That feels very robotic. But I know that God is in charge and he's doing something he loves. And I so want people to know that. And how do I know? I hold to this basic thing that I've received, that his forgiveness is true. It worked. The promise is real. And so he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I've made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them. This is so huge. I want them to be with me, Jesus says. Just would you hear that today? Jesus prays to the Father saying, what I really want, Father, is for these failures, these people to be with me. And he asks it of the Father. We don't know the Father except through the Son. He's, he's that other, that mysterious, that deep, that unknowable. This is the most amazing thing you'll ever hear. N- not just that you're forgiven, but Jesus wants you with him. Yeah. Me, you, 
This is what I, I believe the devil can't understand. Intend to. Jesus really does want you with him. He, he'll give from himself to you. He'll raise you from the dead to be with him. He'll prepare a place for you to be with him. He announces it clearly to you, and will you receive it? He actually wants to be with you. That's what is, makes us one, that Jesus wants us with him. And, and not, well, not that guy unless he cleans up, sorry to point at you, or not this person over there. They're, they're too bad. They're not really. No. I, Jesus wants me as I am. He's not going to leave me as I am. He's going to resurrect me. But this reveals the love of God that, 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 Okay, I, I don't really have time, but let just, if you go into a, va- a pawn shop, and you go into a pawn shop, and there's this vase, and the vase has a hole in it. And somebody comes in, and they say, man, I'll, I'll take that vase. What I think they want the vase, there's no way they just want that vase. What they're really going to do is they're going to fix the vase. Because nobody would like a vase with a hole in it. That, that's my brain. That's my thing. Is that I, I start thinking the vase is no good. It's going to leak. It's not precious. And, and Jesus comes in though and he says, I want this broken vase forever. So Jesus, wait, wait. I'll plug the hole first. No. I can't even plug the hole. I can just say, yes, I trust that he wants me as I am. And this reveals the love of God. And he loves the vase with a hole. Not that he makes the vase the best vase ever. When you start to see that, you start to see the amazing care of God and how the action of your life is on God's end. He loves you. That's been the main issue today is accepting what it means to be a Christian, that Jesus will make you what he wants because God creates what he wants to love. That what you are right now is what he wants because he's said so, that this is true of you and all you received incredible news and rejecting Jesus is rejecting that his, he's done it all. He's, he, he's done it and he keeps you and he sanctifies you and he, he's going to make you one with him and that's all what he's going to do. And, and I, I'm not able to even lift an arm to help at all. That's the main issue today. And I hope you see as we've thought through this together is what it means that Jesus says he's going to make us one. He's going to the cross and before he goes, he asks his father to keep us, to sanctify us and to make us one. And this is what the cross does. His work keeps us, not our own. His work sanctifies us, not our own. And his forgiveness makes us one. Not our unanimous agreement around other issues. Oh, precious people, you'd stay at the cross. The incredible diversity of behavior and thought and activity that's all over Christendom. Praise God. I will disagree mightily with much of it. But that's all downstream from whether you say actually where I stand is did Jesus die for us? He did. You've got it. Come walk in the light. What amazing life we get to live knowing we're forgiven. Let's pray.